Hello everyone, I hope you are well. I'm Carlos Carnicero Uravallen and I want to welcome you all to Future is Blue, a series of podcasts bringing together top experts from academia and think tanks to discuss the most pressing European economic and policy challenges of today. This is a Funkas Europe initiative and we hope we can bring new ideas for a more inspiring debate about Europe. Today we're joined again by our, our contributor, Alice Fabyshenko, who's Senior Advisor at Funkas. Hello, Alice. Good, Carlos. Thanks for having me back on the podcast series. Thank you for joining us. And as our audience probably know by now that when Alice is joining us, this means there's a, there's a new C4 report uh, that, that Funkas is putting together uh, a few times per year. And... and uh, I recommend you all to take a look at the latest um, C4 report. And now Alice is going to tell us a bit more about what's included in this latest uh, publication. We could start talking about the the global outlook, because I think last time we talked was in April. And now after a couple of months, there may be some some changes in the global outlook that's, that Funkas is putting together in the, the C4 publication. So what's new? Sure. Well, I mean, since the last time we spoke, I, I would say that we're still characterized globally by a high degree of uncertainty. In fact, the IMF just put out their latest round of spring forecasts. And in that outlook, the fund still paints a pretty uncertain picture for the next two years. We have inflation dynamics that are you know, going to be difficult to, to predict the evolution of that. Still a lot of uncertainty. Geopolitical tensions. We'll have to see how those evolve. And that will have a subsequent impact on the international trade outlook. Not to mention, of course, we had all that financial turbulence um, following the recent crisis that originated in the regional banking sector in the U.S. and the collapse of Credit Suisse in Europe. So all of those factors will have to see how they play out. At the same time, the fund's experts are predicting a slowdown in global growth this year. Um, the situation is expected to be particularly pronounced in the Eurozone, but we will according to the fund, see some slowdown in the U.S. economy as well, given all the tightening of monetary policies that we've seen there. As regards the European Commission, they share that outlook that the fund has for the situation of Europe, although they do point to some bright spots and some tailwinds, including energy prices, which have been falling of late, the labor market, which has been particularly resilient, tourism flows, which have, which have recovered strongly. So indeed, we have the Commission, who's revised upwards its growth forecast, so we're looking at a Eurozone forecast of 1.1% in 2023 and 1.6% in 2024. So as, as we go into this issue of CEFO, we're really looking at the importance of the evolution of prices, because those will really be what's affecting monetary policy decisions and the overall macro picture. So in this issue, the May issue, we focus on the recent performance of inflation in Spain, but we also want to take a more detailed snapshot of just how exactly these price increases are affecting different segments of the Spanish population, because there's a surprising degree of, of variety and variance across different demographics, across different regions, across different income levels in Spain. 
Alice, um, let's let's deep dive about inflation and what's happening in Spain. I think it's interesting because I think the numbers uh, are going down in Spain, and I think it's the country that is is one of the that is doing better in terms of getting inflation under control. So perhaps you could tell us a bit about what are the dynamics in Spain at the moment. Yes, of course. So just to kind of put into context the energy prices and the food prices that have been really driving Spanish inflation are very volatile and they're also very vulnerable to geopolitical tensions. So these have been exogenous factors that have been fueling inflation in Spain since about mid-2021 and we're finally seeing that they're starting to dissipate a little bit. Um, in fact, you know, the recent trends that are translating into the reduction in energy CPI is really helping to reduce the overall uh, headline CPI numbers in, in Spain because not only from the significant weight of the energy prices in overall CPI, but also directly, but also indirectly, since energy is such a key production input for the main industries in Spain. As regards for food inflation, we're still seeing some pressures there and core inflation remains high, but all of this into consideration going forward, if there are no major surprises, particularly on the geopolitical front, we should see energy and food prices continuing to decrease and exerting downward pressure on CPI. So for example, Funkas is forecasting a headline inflation figure this year of 4.2%, going down to 3.3% in 2024. All of that said, that some of those favorable trends that we're seeing, the disinflationary process we think will be gradual. Core inflation remains elevated, and a lot of the forces that were driving inflation um, originally um, those are, you know, even if those are a little bit more contained, we have some other factors independent of the origin of the initial shock that are that are really still feeding into the inflation outlook. So, for example, core inflation has been mainly driven by corporate profits in Spain, and now we're seeing also some recovery in wages. So that's also making the disinflationary picture go a little bit slower. And all that being said, unless there is an, un an, an unexpected recession or a sharp correction in import prices, it's, it's really unlikely that core inflation will return to, to the 2% um, target before, before the end of 2024. So there's one other risk that's important to talk about when we're talking about the inflation outlook, which is the risk of inflation expectations decoupling, which the ECB has very present. And because of this factor, it's, uh, we think it's unlikely that we'll see any return to expansionary monetary policies anytime soon. To at least to what extent these these lessons and and this this favorable outlook that you're describing for Spain, uh, to what extent does it apply to the to the eurozone? Well, the situation in Spain as regards inflation, I would say, is is pretty much in line with what we're seeing in terms of overall inflationary trends in the eurozone. According to the latest forecast from the OECD, for example, eurozone inflation is also expected to fall quite quickly as food and energy prices start to turn negative, but core inflation, as is the case in Spain, is projected to, to remain sticky. So, you know, there is dispersion across eurozone countries, but, but this is pretty much the overall trend that we're seeing in line with what we're seeing in Spain. And what implications that will have for monetary policy? Well, most of the central banks and the advanced economies they're still continuing to tighten, even in the aftermath of the of the of the recent financial sector crisis that we've seen and those turbulences. 
But that said, these, these rate hikes that we're seeing now are smaller, and some of these central banks have announced pauses so they can have a chance to step back and assess the impact of all the cumulative tightening, both of the interest rate hikes that have been going on um, in this you know post-pandemic era, and also all the cumulative tightening as regards to what's happened as the fallout from the from that regional banking crisis in the U.S. and and you know some of that that has you know we've seen some of those consequences in Europe how, how all of that has affected the banking sector so kind of the, those two impacts combined um, in the euro area inflation underlying inflation is still high so we should continue to see quantitative tightening and and that's pretty much the outlook for for the near term. Before you mentioned something uh, that I thought it was particularly interesting in the, in, in the latest C four report. You talk about how inflation is not affecting everyone in the same way. So there are some people more exposed to the side effects of inflation. Perhaps you could talk to us a bit about that. Uh, yes, thank you, Carlos. It's actually a really good question. Um, and that's something that we, we looked at in this last issue of CEFO, the, the really the distributive impact of inflation across the different cohorts of the Spanish population. I mean, we all know that in the wake of the pandemic, inflation was a big concern dominating the economic debate in many countries, in particular in Spain. On the social front, it's been a really intense and persistent bout of inflation, which is causing uh, a slew of undesirable consequences for households. Real incomes are being eroded, staple products are, are more expensive, it's more difficult to service, to service mortgages, it's harder to set aside savings. So, so all of these problems have really intensified over the last two years with CPI jumping from 3.1% in 2021 to 8.4% in 2022. So that's a huge jump. And even if we're looking at these huge headline figures of big increases, it's important to note a lot of differences. For starters, there's a huge uh, variation across the, the broad spectrum of basic goods and services in terms of of increasing costs. For example, electricity costs were among the highest to surge. Um, olive oil prices shot up, but some other areas we, we've really seen slower price increases. And also, interestingly, behind these aggregates provided by Spain's National Statistic Office, there really is an underlying CPI that you can calculate for each household, which really depends on their relative composition of goods and services in their own baskets. So looking at these kind of micro-level baskets of goods and services, which we get from looking at the household Spanish household budget survey, we can really calculate basically a household CPI, a price index per household. And that's what we did in this, in this piece uh, for the years 2021 and 2022. And the results of all of this analysis show really that the post-pandemic inflation has disproportionately hit the poorer households, the households that are that are well worse worse off um for example in in the first three income deciles those have really been hit the hardest so households that spend fourteen thousand euros a year about one thousand two hundred euros per month those have been the most affected interestingly regional differences are also very very apparent Castilla-La Mancha, Castilla-León, Extremadura, Galicia, La Rioja, Aragón, those are some of the regions that we've really seen price increases hit the hardest. And, and coincidentally, those are the areas that we call unpopulated Spain or España Bastilla. Um, so we have the interplay of geographic location, climate conditions, household expenditures on different items, um, and, and how all those differences come together so you can really see variation from one region to the next. And there's one other factor that came up in our analysis that was interesting in terms of, of the size of, of, the, of the different cities and towns. C cities and towns that had fewer than 10,000 inhabitants 
um, they were the most affected, particularly where we have people over 65 living alone. So it's really just interesting how these different variables come together to shape these below the surface impacts on households and, 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 and how that affects inflation, how that differs from just kind of this overall big picture of headline inflation in Spain. Absolutely. Very interesting. So so poorer house, households and, and rural uh, people living in rural areas are more exposed to the effects of inflation and are, and are disproportionately more affected by inflation. I'm sure those those lessons that you've learned uh, studying all those all those facts apply to other regions in Europe. I wouldn't be surprised. Mm, completely agree. I'm sure there are also, there are always differences across one country to the other, but the general factors that are responsible for some of these trends, I'm sure they apply. For example, in 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 rural smaller towns, you know, you have. Um, in the south, for example, you know, you have different climate conditions, you have higher transportation costs, you have less provision of different, you know, goods and services. So all of these factors come together to shape the inflation outlook in those in those in those areas. Absolutely. Uh, Alice Favishenko, who's a senior advisor at Funkas, it was great having you on board. Uh, thank you for sharing all those aspects of the latest CIFO report. And let me remind everyone that uh, the CIFO, a link to the report is going to be available in the show notes of this podcast. Perfect. Thank you very much for having me back, Carlos. And I look forward to speaking with you again soon. Thank you all for joining. This was all for now. We will come back soon with more exciting speakers on Europe's economic and policy-related key debates. Future is Blue is a Funcas Europe initiative. I'm Carlos Carnicero Ravallen, and if you enjoyed this podcast, feel free to recommend it to others and share it on social media. Thank you all, and stay well.